You know, there are two reasons that I believe we're losing our liberty in the United States, that American freedom is fast disappearing, it's evaporating before our eyes. And those two reasons involve, number one, the lack of integrity in the election process that we are seeing in our nation right now. And then number two, the effort by the Biden administration, the Democratic Socialist Party, to squash free speech. And free speech is really on the rails. It's on the ropes in America. So those are the two things that I want to think about right now as we're thinking about how America is losing its freedom, the integrity of elections. Let's start there. Now, I have two things that I want to talk about regarding the integrity of elections. And number one is in the state of Arizona. Now, I know that's not uh, in Texas where we are, of course, located here. However, uh, it does uh, it does give us an index of what's taking place with neocons in charge of the election board process in Maricopa County, Arizona. And it gives us a good index of what actually is occurring in America regarding the lack of integrity of in the election process. And I'm speaking about Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs and the election there of Katie Hobbs, the, the governor-elect. So we'll talk about that in a few moments. And then also, when we talk, talk about election process and the integrity of elections, I cannot help but think about what took place in Pennsylvania. And if anyone believes that that is a, somehow a fair process and that John Fetterman was actually elected, I tell you what, I've got swampland in my home of Arizona to sell you because that is absolutely something is drastically, drastically wrong with the integrity of the election process, if we believe that a man who cannot even put a sentence together and form words before people is elected. So let's talk about Arizona, first of all, and the election of Katie Hobbs as governor-elect. Now, to be clear, if indeed the integrity of elections or the integrity of the process is compromised or if it is lost, then, ladies and gentlemen, we are not living in a free country. That's as simple and as plain as that. We are not living in a free country if, indeed, the integrity of elections are lost. As the attorney general from the state of Texas puts it, Ken Paxton, he said, secure elections are the cornerstone of a thriving republic, and that is exactly the case. So let's think about Katie Hobbs' election for a moment. You know, for all the juvenile crying about people who are disenfranchised in our republic simply for having to show an ID card when they go to the voting booth, and they're thinking about how uh, poor people can't show an ID card, and that's disenfranchisement. Real disenfranchisement of elections, or rather of voters, has taken place in the state of Arizona, specifically supporters of, supporters of Kerry Lake. Now, how do I mean that? Well, let's just, for example, take the old-fashioned poll tax. You know, if we said, well, we're going to have a poll tax that would be a tax that people pay in order to vote because they, the belief was, and incidentally, it wasn't so that rich people could vote and the poor people could not. It was that those who were invested in the country and those who actually were interested in the direction of the government, they should have some investment in it. And so the investment in it was... At, at the poll tax, that is, they would pay in order to vote. It would be a very minimal amount. But nevertheless, that, of course, has been askewed. It's been 
rejected and people have hated that, said, oh, that's disenfranchising many people from the election process. All right, let's just take that as the truth. That's disenfranchisement. What is it, what happened in Arizona? How is it not, not the same thing as having a poll tax? And even worse yet, how is that not disenfranchising the supporters of Kerry Lake? Now, before we look into some of those things, you know, the reasoning that says, and I tell you, this, this a- absolutely frustrates me. Well, there are many Republicans who say, well, we'll just get them next time. Well, we'll do better next time. Well, let's just try better next time. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't have the last time settled and settled in our minds, then there is no next time. What difference is it going to make next time if we have no confidence in what is taking place in the past election? And if we don't have the assurance that there is integrity of the past election, and as Kate, as, as Carrie Lake had stated very plainly in Arizona coming up to the election, even not even during the election week, she said this is all a joke in Arizona what's taking place. That's happening in so many places in the United States, mail-in voting being one of them. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, I want to say very quickly, I want to add a caveat, and that is that obviously those who are in the military or those who are infirm in nursing homes are unable to get to the voting booth or the the, the, the voting place. That's, I, we understand the mail-in balloting there, but you know what? The mail-in voting is absolutely ludicrous, and it is rife for corruption. It is rife for destroying the integrity of the election process. That's exactly what happened not only in Pennsylvania with the election of John Fetterman, but that's also what's happened in the state of Arizona. So let's think about this. And so I want to point out, first of all, it's just it's just weak reasoning to say, say it in the best words possible to say, well, we'll get them next time, because if we don't have that election integrity settled in the past election, then there is no next time anyway. So in spite of the fact that the mainstream media, which would include the Washington Post, and have looked at all of these, NPR, U.S. News and World Report, New York Times, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of liberal news rags, they've hurried to squash all voices and brand them as election deniers, election deniers, that is, those who question what took place in Maricopa County last week during the election. When 30%, 30% of the 223 voting centers in Arizona's Maricopa County were malfunctioning on voting day. Malfunctioning. So there you have a major problem right away. Now here's something else to think about. Incidentally, election denier. I guess you're going to call me an election denier, but have we come to a point in our country where if someone rises up and says or raises their hand and says, I have a question about the integrity of this process, or I have a question, I don't think that things are going right, and I don't agree with how it's happening, I think something needs to be looked into, it's awful fishy, and then all of a sudden you're branded as an election denier, and that's what the president does. That's what the Democratic Party does continually because they don't want anybody going back and questioning the election of Joe Biden in 2020. So have we come to a place in America where you cannot even raise your voice in dissent at all? Apparently so. Well, to start with, 30% of all of the election machines were malfunctioning in Maricopa County 
on voting day. Now, is that a coincidence? You think about this for a moment. All the mail-in balloting that was going on in Arizona, which I disagree with strongly anyway, which, of course, is always heavily favored in the Democrat, for Democrats, and it is rife for corruption. It is an open gate for misinformation in there and misvoting. All of those mail-in balloting, all of that was going on, and everything was fine. No, no problems whatsoever, apparently. But all of a sudden, on Election Day, well, what about Election Day? Well, Carrie Lake had said, and everybody knew it, Everyone that was on the election board, everybody in the state, everybody in the country understood exactly what Carrie Lake had said. And that she had said earlier, there's so many problems with the election process. I want my supporters to go out on election day and vote. Therefore, those who are anticipated to arrive at the voting voting place, the voting booth on voting day, were primarily in Maricopa County, Carrie Lake supporters. Is it a coincidence that therefore one-third of all the machines were broken and not functioning properly? According to Cronkite News, Tucker Carlson was wrong to suggest that people were not able to vote in Maricopa County. But I'm here to tell you that's exactly what happened on Election Day. Voters on the ground tell us, we've had them on the radio last week, we had one of them on who had talked to many people, Voters on the ground tell us that the lines were exceedingly long, not only so, but when they got up to the front and then the word would pass back that the, that the machines were not working properly and were not working at all, really, and that we might fill out a paper ballot and put it in a box number three to be carried downtown to Phoenix to be counted. And incidentally, who is over Box three. Who is over the, I wonder which office is over the election process in the state of Arizona. Oh, that's right. It was the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, the opponent of Carrie Lake. She was over the election process. So we're putting in box three. We're putting in Katie Hobbs's box three, our election or a vote for Carrie Lake to be taken downtown. Now, that's what the option was. Now, does anybody see a problem with that? If I have been misinformed, if I'm malinformed, if I am, I have gone off my rocker here, then I'm happy to hear someone tell about it. But that is apparently exactly what's go- going on or what happened in Phoenix last week on November 8. So it is disingenuous in the least to say, as Cronkite News did, quoting people such as Bill Gates, who is head over the election board in Phoenix, to say, well, okay, No one was turned away. Everybody could vote. Well, technically, that would be true. But we're putting a poll tax on people because we're already raising many red flags that make people run to other voting locations only to discover when they get to another voting location that they have somehow already voted. They would, and many people had to argue with people at the election booth that they had not already voted, that they had been over there, but they had not voted because. They, had not, they were not able to count their votes, so they said, we're going to go somewhere else. So that's the kind of mix-up that was going on in Phoenix. Does that sound like a secure election to you? No. So I'm asking the question, then, how is this any different from demanding a poll tax at the election booth? 
Nothing about the election process in Maricopa County inspires confidence in the voter at all. And you might, of course, feel that from my tone and from what I'm saying. And it is simply disingenuous of Cronkite News, as well as other news outlets, some of them in Arizona, to aver that though there are reports of frustrated and irritated voters, as as they said, there are no accounts that anyone who wanted to vote couldn't. Well, technically, that may be true. They, it, we could say that regarding the poll tax. We can say, okay, we have a poll tax in Wichita County, and can we all at the same time say, well, technically, anybody who wants to vote can. Yeah, you could say that, but immediately you're going to, you're going to object to having a poll tax by saying, well, that's going to cut out people immediately. But I can also say, with straight face, well, we haven't turned anybody away. Everybody may vote who wants to vote. So you see, you got it coming and going. And this is exactly what happened in Maricopa County. Now, here's KGUN 9 News out of Tucson. They quoted Board of Supervisors Chair Bill Gates to say that the problem in the machines were fixed by 2 p.m. on Tuesday, that was Election Day, at 17 centers, and that work was underway in the rest of them. And Gates went on to say that no voter was turned away. Once more, it may be the case that they did not by themselves turn voters away by telling them you cannot vote. That doesn't answer the problem. That doesn't really fix what we're talking about here. And that is the eroding of the certainty of the election system that caused many voters to travel to alternate locations to begin with, only to be confronted by another gauntlet of detours and what we might even call poll taxes in Maricopa County. Now, some people say, well, Bill Gates was a Republican. Why would he do that? Why would he himself and all of the board, the county, the board over the voting, who are five of them, why would they, as Republicans, why would they be opposing Kerry Lake? Good question. But the answer is very, very simple. And as a matter of fact, it really gets to the heart of the problem in America that so many people, either number one, have not educated themselves enough to learn, or number two, are willfully ignorant on the subject. And that is, because a person has a R, Republican, by the name, does not mean that they're a conservative. It certainly doesn't mean they're a constitutionalist. There are so many people who are neocons, And we'll talk about neoconservatism next week, Lord willing. But there are so many neocons in the Republican Party, such as Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is a neocon. She even said out loud, I would vote for a Democrat. That's a socialist. She would vote socialist instead of for a Republican if she was in Arizona because she didn't want Carrie Lake to win. But she is supposedly a Republican. I get tired of people saying, I even I even saw Dinesh D'Souza come out on Twitter say, all right, number one, Trump needs to not criticize other Republicans. Well, look here. you got the neocons doing it all the time. All the time. So the neocons make no, they're actually more dangerous than simply an out-and-out Marxist because you think, well, they're Republican. But in truth, they're pulling for the Democratic Party. And that's exactly what my charge is with Bill Gates in Maricopa County. Terry Lake said it best during the campaign. I consider someone's vote their voice. I think of it as a sacred vote. 
and it's being trampled the way we run our elections in Arizona. I have been sounding the alarm for two years. Nothing gets done. Very little got done last legislative session. The election process, she said, in Arizona is a laughingstock. Now, illustrative of this particular quote is the fact that, it, of course, it's not simply laughing matter. It reeks of fraud is what it does. And illustrative of this fact is the fact is this case that the incumbent treasurer for the state of Arizona, who is a Republican, somehow won over 125,000 or more votes than Kerry Lake. Nobody knows his name, and there's so, no excitement over his reelection, and he's certainly not a national figure, and that supposedly he had 125,000 more votes than Kerry Lake. Now, here's the last fact we want to mention on this particular. Arizona has a mandatory recount if the election is within 0.5% of difference. That is, if there's a difference of 0.5% between Katie Hobbs, who's leading, and Carrie Lake, who's trailing, then there is a mandatory recount. Currently, now this is, I'm recording this on Thursday. It may change tomorrow. It probably will. Carrie Lake is at 0.6%, and there are 14,000 more votes to count. The state election board and the mainstream media must believe that Arizonans and conservatives generally are very, very stupid because I predict that the election board will keep it so that Carrie Lake will not come to that 0.5% threshold. She only needs one more tenth of a point because one more tenth of a point will trigger an automatic recount and they don't want to redo it in Arizona. I think what needs to be done is simply a redo in Arizona. There's so many questions about glitches in the system, election integrity doubts, voter confidence is at all-time low. It simply needs to be redone. All right, back in a moment. Okay, I spent a little bit extra time on that first segment, longer than I really intended to, but I kind of got excited about the topic. Uh, one reason, of course, is that I am from Maricopa County. That's my, that's my home. I'm from Chandler, Arizona, and Maricopa County has been my home uh, but now I'm in Wichita County, and I'm proud to be here. But I have a lot of interest in that. But not only that, I think it is an index of what's taking place in America pertaining to the integrity of elections or the lack thereof. And the same thing is the case regarding John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Now, I don't have time to talk about that one, but if you believe that John Fetterman in that election was absolutely above board, then I, I think there's something very wrong in our thinking processes. So... <clears throat> Before I go into this next segment, I do want to mention this, that we're changing up the, the show and the way that we're going to, uh, the way we've entitled it, actually, and I call it Patriotic Pulpit. Now, we've had American Liberty with Bill Lockwood. I've had a website on that, and I'm going to let that die, but we're doing Patriotic Pulpit. Now, the reason, of course, is, as you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, Patriotic Pulpit um well, YouTube, YouTube uh, kicked us off, American Liberty with Bill Lockwood. They kicked us off on that one. And so, <clears throat> so we rebranded it, and we went to a different, two or three different uh, platforms, and one of them was Spotify. Another one is Amazon Music. So you can find the podcast, which is Patriotic Pulpit Podcast, on those two platforms at least. And there are others coming as well. So regarding that uh, we've changing it up or we have been changing it up and that's taking place. And hopefully we'll be uh, ready to go completely on the new, new, uh, 
agenda in the coming year. So if you do, by the way, if you do want to contribute to the program, you still can go to American Liberty with Bill Lockwood, and you might uh, contribute there. There's a donate button, and I'm happy to have that because, of course, uh, all of these things cost a lot of money to do. So, all right, I talked about the the two things that really make me think that America is fast losing, if not having lost liberty that we really fought so hard in the past to attain. One of them is the integrity of the election process. And by the way, if, if we cannot question the integrity of the election process and if people don't want us to question it, then that brings up the second problem, and that is the lack of free speech. And, and both of those things are very, very frightening. We'll talk about free speech in a moment. But right now, I'm asking the question, is America really at the point of no return? I read a recent book, um, and his name, the, the author's name is Charles Kessler. Kessler writes a book, I guess it was maybe written two years ago, called The Crisis of the Two Constitutions. And he's talking about the Constitution that was given and the Constitution, uh, the, the lack thereof that we follow now. And he's asked the question, or he basically, or I should say, he basically set the table this way. He said there are only five different alternatives that we have right now if we're going to have um, a country that we used to have in America. And there are only five, there are only five off-ramps here, <laughs> and that's all you got. Only five options, and if there are others, happy to hear you on it. Number one, how are we going to reset? Number one, we're going to convert the other side. That's that's the number one option. Can we convert the other side? The truth is, however, that between the Republicans and the Democrats, between the conservatives and the neocons, or between the constitutionalists and the liberals, there is a growing gap further and further. We have a... We have a Marxist takeover in America today, and that is so far to the left that they think calling us a fascist is some kind of big label. I think, well, that's because when they look from on the far left and they look to the immediate right, they see a fascist. No, they just need to look past that and see a constitutionalist. But see, that's all they, that's all they know. They don't know deadly about it. But we have Marxism going on in our country. So the reality is, can we convert the other side? The answer, in my opinion, is absolutely not. Since the time of FDR, we have split wider and wider apart. There are two conservative presidents, basically only two, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. And do you see what what they caused? Both of them, not purposefully necessarily, but both of them caused a wide breach. I mean, they were hated, both of them, Reagan and Trump were both hated by the left. And so I don't see conversion of the other side as a viable option. Number two, sometimes people suggest, or at least Kessler points out, that we might have a calamity that would unite us all, such as a war. That's what happened with World War II. So America was divided. We had a president who was basically a socialist. That was FDR. He came into office. He promised a lot of big things, was not able to deliver on any of them. And every everything that came to the Supreme Court, they said it was unconstitutional. All of his programs, all of his New Deal pro- programs, all unconstitutional. And so America was beginning to really be divided. But something that brought people together was, of course, the war. 
foreign wars. And that, of course, is something that always unites people. But we are involved in foreign wars. We're involved in foreign wars ever since I have been alive, since 1958. Now, here's a big crisis that occurred within the last two years, COVID-19. But that didn't, that didn't unite us, did it? It really divided us further. The pandemic was a severe shock to our system, but you know what? It divided us further. And the left is still trying to maintain some kind of lockdown on us. We still wear masks around the hospital here at, in Wichita Falls. Like, and it's already been shown they have no bearing on the transmission of the disease. So we're not getting closer together because of a crisis. Kessler offers a third one. He says, well, we can have a vastly invigorated Federalism. Now, what is a vastly invigorated federalism? That would be, of course, to allow the states the rightful role in making decisions and leaving only a few decisions at the top. So, for example, in the Constitution, Article 1, we have at the top, the federal government has only 20 powers, approximately. The rest of them are, the rest of them are left to the states, all of them, and that's what Article 10 is about in the the first 10 amendments. So that would be federalism. So let's see what happened. We have one particular hot button issue that was put back into a more of a federalist idea. You know what it is? Abortion. Abortion properly was adjudicated by the Supreme court as not a federal issue, but a state issue. And they kicked it back to the states. Now, I'm asking this question. Did that unite us? Was that something that was more invigorating to the American Republic? Is that what people wanted? No. No, because the left is their totalitarians. That's why they don't want federalism. They don't want the freedom of a state to make its own decisions. They want everybody to kowtow to their ideas. And incidentally, abortion is, of course, a horrible, horrible murder. It's what it is. It is murder of the unborn. But they want that to be the case, and so they're not going to allow federalism on this. So that's not something working. So here's something else now. Number four, this is offered by Kessler. He says, okay, that's not going to work. How about number four, secession? All right. Madison and Hamilton explained because of dangers to the system, this is what needs to take place. And so they wrote in, in 1798, they wrote, the articles of, of federal uh, of articles of ninety eight that would be the ideas that the states can secede if we're going to go on as we're going to go. Well, those whole ideas by Jefferson and Madison they're practiced by other countries. For example, the Czech Republic and Slovakia went their separate ways. Great Britain seceded from the EU, but in America, how is that how is that working exactly? Well. The principles of 98, we're not practicing them at all because liberals and conservatives kind of intermingle and we all live together in the same cities. So, for example, in the state of Texas, even though we're conservative and we have Greg Abbott as a governor and just reelected, secession, can you imagine secession? How's that going to, how would that work? Would Austin remain with this or would we just secede and then everybody that lives in Austin said we can't stand this any longer and, and we're going to go to a blue state, which is like our city, blue. Well, we tried it at the Civil War period also, and that didn't work out too well. But maybe that's an option that we need to revisit. And then the last one, the last one is 
That's, that's option number four. Now, number five, civil war. You know, the crisis that we're facing in America, Supreme Court decisions might exacerbate it, abortion, gun rights, immigration policies. We have wide open borders now. And the conflict is growing worse and worse. So the tectonic plaques of the two constitutions are grinding away each other, at each other right now. And so what's actually going to take place? Well, one of, those, one of those five options is all you've got. That's all we have. We're going to convert the other side. Some big calamity is going to unite us all. We might have an invigorated federalism, reinvigorated, I should say. We might secede, or we're going to go to civil war. That's what we're coming to. Be back in a moment. As I started the program, I talked about two areas that show that we are sliding into a totalitarian system. Number one, the lack of integrity of elections. And then number two, the squashing of free speech. And that's where I want to be in the remainder of this program. The squashing or the curtailing of free speech. Now, just to set the table a little bit clearer, I want you to think about, you may not have heard the program in the past, but I had a program, well, I guess it was about a month ago, in which we talked about big tech having a monopoly on the speech and the, 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 the language that people use and the ideas that they float. And big tech, that would be, of course, uh, Google and Twitter and Facebook and so forth, all of them have the corner on the market. But not only that, these are government actors, and we looked at Section 230 of, of uh, this, the, the code pertaining to uh, the rights that people have as far as broadcasting and so forth. And Section 230 is, uh, is where the government gives to these big tech companies, they give them the ability to be shielded from lawsuits in order that they might have people speaking on their they say freely, and that would be, they don't want to be, in other words, Facebook doesn't want to be sued because of someone saying something about someone else, and Twitter doesn't want to be sued. So the government actually put a canopy of protection over them with Section 230, and that Section 230 of those codes actually gives them protection. But the, the point to make here is that the Supreme Court has on several occasions already stated that when the federal government shields or protects or actually becomes involved with these free market companies, so-called, then those companies become government actors. In other words, big tech is a government actor. So if big tech acting as a government arm, and you know, besides that, the Biden administration's right in bed with Twitter, right in bed with Facebook. If big tech government and their government arm is big tech if they are suppressing speech suppressing ideas and the free flow of information that is equaling the government doing it and that's exactly what is taking place but that's not sufficient enough i want you to notice that joe biden september 1st this year gave a speech entitled Battle for the Soul of the Nation. And the National Center for Constitutional Studies has a great article on this particular topic, and you need to look at it, National Center for Constitutional Studies, NCCS. And in that speech, 
Biden labels the vision that MAGA Republicans, that's Make America Great Republicans, he's talking about Trump supporters, as extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. He allocated two-thirds of that entire speech to make his case that the views of others are a clear and present danger to our democracy. His solution to this perceived threat is to stop the assault on American democracy. Now, in reality, silencing those who have differing opinions is the greatest threat to democracy than an opinion will ever have. Silencing the opinions of others is the greatest threat to democracy that there is existing, and that is sponsored by the Biden administration. Big tech, once again, are government actors. They're silencing dissent. That is government silencing dissent. And Joe Biden continues to try to paint MAGA Republicans as people who are dangerous and should not be able to speak, and that's exactly how big tech acts. Well, the tendency to use force to silence the opposition is not just a 21st century problem. Even the fiery, freedom-loving John Adams signed the Sedition and Alien Acts when he was president, and these acts, that would be in the 1799-1800, made it illegal to disagree with Congress, to disagree with the president, or any law of the United States. You could not disagree with it in print or in voiced opposition. That's amazing, isn't it? It was argued that the acts were necessary to protect the republic. Now, that's exactly what Joe Biden has argued. Interestingly, regarding the Alien and Sedition Acts, and this is what brought on, by the way, what Thomas Jefferson and James Madison talked about, the principles of 98 being able to secede from the Union. This is what brought those on. But interestingly, James Madison had his law and the lawmakers that were following his lead to expire on March 3rd, 1801, the last day of Adams and House's term in office. That was simply to say this, an action that appeared to protect those holding office at the time is what was going on and not protecting the Republic because the acts were to expire the last day that Adams held office. So they weren't trying to protect the Republic. He was trying to protect himself and he fell right into the ditch. So Joe Biden may have good company on that one, but it is absolutely stunningly wrong, and it is stunningly frightening because of the tendency to use force to take away the opposition's voice. And we'll talk about more of that in just a moment on the other side of the break. So taking away the free speech in the name of protecting democracy is to forget that free speech is one of the primary pillars of democracy. And that's exactly what Joe Biden is trying to do. Think about the First Amendment for just a moment. The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights is there to protect this foundational building block of democratic principles. The First Amendment is not a list of, a, of, of single, disconnected, particular topics. It is a logical procession of rights. For example, our individual rights before God begin with the ability to think and to believe. And so we have the ability to think for myself, ourselves, and the ability to believe. 
And that would be, of course, also inclusive of worshiping. I have the ability to do that. We're not going to sponsor a a church, and I have the ability to think and believe what I wish. No other person, no other entity has the right to force me to worship against my conscience or to believe against what I think to be the case. The next logical step is our freedom to speak and to publish. That comes next in the First Amendment. If I have the right to think about it, if I have a right to believe a certain thing, do I have the right to speak it? Do I have a right to publish that opinion? Certainly I do. So that's the very next logical step. I have the right to print those thoughts. That is freedom of speech, and that's freedom of the press. I have the right to say those things. Next comes the right to assemble with other citizens to discuss what we have spoken and printed. Do I have the right to do that? Well, certainly so, because that's the next logical progression of these rights. I have the right to think, to believe a certain thing. I have the right to speak these things and to print those particular opinions, to speak them in the pulpit, to speak them in the newspaper, to speak them on the Internet, to speak them on Facebook, to speak them. I have the right to do that. Joe Biden doesn't believe that, but that's what we we do have a right to do. The government is is actually right now suppressing the freedom of speech. And then comes what? Next, we have the right to to assemble and to discuss those ideas with other people. Then lastly, we have the right to assemble for the purpose of expressing our thoughts to elected representatives of government. I have the right to assemble in opposition to or to encourage my representative to go a different direction in what what he is legislating. If we have the right to think, we have the right to petition, we have a right in every step in between— These are all logical thoughts, the First Amendment, the freedom of conscience, the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of petition. These are pillars of our democracy. And for Joe Biden to get up and say that the other side is very dangerous to democracy and at the same time, behind the scenes, for he didn't say it out loud, the government is already by its own actors, suppressing the speech of the other side. President Trump, for example, is not even yet on Twitter. He's not even, even though Elon Musk has purchased it. He's not yet on Facebook. He's not allowed to be on there. We have suppressed the other side. That's what's taking place in America. But those are unalienable rights, and we have lost the First Amendment. That's why I say Not only are we in a dangerous position, but if we allow Joe Biden to go on unbridled and, boy, I can tell you what's going to happen there, we have lost it in America. We're not just losing it. We've already lost it. And what are we going to do to get it back? Those who have differing opinions should be allowed to speak. So the action that Biden takes and the words that he speaks, they're not protecting democracy. He's destroying democracy. That's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what actually is now occurring. It's already being destroyed. It's already there. We've got to go back. So that we have a lot of work to do. Now, the presidential election, 1803, Thomas Jefferson defeated John Adams. One of the most heated in American history. Two long, long time, lifelong, as a matter of fact, friends became enemies during that election process. Their friendship was rekindled, we're happy to say, in the sunset years, and they incidentally, each of them died the same day on the July 4th. But in 1800, it was not 1803, actually, it was 1800, 
They didn't see eye to eye. Jefferson won the election, and in his inaugural address, he had petitioned the people to enter into united discourse, something that was lost during the course of the election process. Now, the remarkable thing about Jefferson's inaugural speech, and I want you to hear this, this is a mature-thinking individual who wants the First Amendment, in spite of the fact that it had been such an ugly, ugly campaign against him. And they had come, they came out and they had some, some nasty things about Jefferson, things which still float today in our uh, academies. But he came out in the inaugural speech, and he strongly endorsed the freedom of speech, even though he had been obliterated by the press. And worse yet, he and his like-minded Americans were the ones specifically targeted by the Alien and Sedition Act that expired when Adams left office. And after all of that, he still believed that freedom of speech was the best method of combating falsehood and discord. Jefferson begins his speech by acknowledging that a stranger to the idea of liberty as it exists in America might not understand the purpose of public debate, even if that debate is heated. Once an election is decided according to the rules of the Constitution, Americans should reunite in the spirit of common liberty. And so he said this in his inaugural speech, Let us then, fellow citizens, unite with one heart and one mind. Let us restore to social intercourse that harmony and affection without which liberty and even life itself are but dreary things. But every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. We've called by different names or been called that we've called by different names brethren of the same principle. We are all Republicans. We're all Federalists. So just as differences in religious creeds are not necessarily differences in morality, sometimes they are, but most of the time not so, differences of policy between Republicans and Democrats, at least in those days, were not always difference, differences of principle. Now today, of course, the principles are completely different. I remember speaking just the other day with an acquaintance of mine and pointed out socialism is basically stealing, it's theft. And this person responded, well, that's what, I understand that. And they, this, this woman supported socialism. She said, that's fine. I said, you're telling me that it's immorality. You know it's immorality. Socialism is theft, taken from one and given to the other by an all-powerful government. She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, okay, what do you have to say? So Jefferson continuing, he said, if there's any among us who had wished to dissolve this union or change its Republican form, let them stand undisturbed as monuments of the safety with which error of opinion may be tolerated where reason is left free to combat it. That is, if the other side is so wacko to say certain things, let them speak, but use reasoning to defeat it. That's what we need to be about in America. That's what freedom of speech is all about. So, if Biden is going to get up there and demonize the other side, as he has done, and talk about danger to the republic, danger to the democracy, as the Democratic Party has consistently done, they're actually setting you up to attack the very pillar of freedom that we have in our country. Now, before I go, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. This will be the last uh, show that I uh, produced before Thanksgiving. So I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving with your family, that you're thankful to God for the great blessings that we do have that we can still enjoy. And even though there are many dangers that are facing us, uh, we have many things for which we can be thankful. And we need to be thankful and always uh, 
offer to God, the Almighty God, our thanksgiving for this great season, this great country that we have enjoyed. Let's do what we can to save it.